We're ready. We're ready. Welcome to This Good Word, everybody. I'm Steve. I am here with two friends, one old friend, one new friend. I'm here with Joe Saxton. Hi, Joe. Hi. I'm here with Steph Williams. Hello. Which one's which? I'm the old friend. (laughs) You are the old friend. You are the old friend. Uh, And I am so excited. I mean, number one, we are in a legit recording studio. It is real. This is called the Aerial... Yeah. Studios or something it, cool I, like that. And it's amazing. Aaron Ankrum, Christian Ankrum, the, the Brothers Ankrum. The Brothers Ankrum. <laughs> I normally do my podcast in my basement. with I have to like turn off the, the, the furnace, you know, and like if the washer <laughs> you turn off goes the heating? on. Or oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or else it's like... <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So You know, but people should, I mean, just a little plug, they should look up Grey Shot. The band. Yeah. That's the, the Brothers Ankrum band. Exactly. And they yes. got an album coming out. So okay. check it out. Yes. Check yes. it out. Uh, and we will. I will put that on the show notes. That was our oh. payment for using the studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that we just give them a shout out. It's going to be dozens of downloads. Yeah, right, right. Dozens, dozens. of downloads. Um, okay, so we are here, and uh, Joe and Steph have been friends. You guys have been friends for quite a few years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you guys meet? How did you two meet? Oh, I hope man. you know the answer to this because I can't remember right now. Yeah, I do know the answer. Okay. The short answer is I started stalking Joe. Oh, yes. Good. Yes. She I took like me right it. back to the pain there. Yeah. I yeah. like she, stories that start with stalking. Yeah. You know, I think Joe blocked that out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I She's did. She's blocked that out. But no, we um, we met through um, ministry purposes, people doing some, uh, Joe was doing some coaching in discipleship and mission. And so I met her. She came to Minneapolis. You didn't live here then. I didn't, no. And oh, gosh, you were living yeah. in Arizona? No, I was living in California. California? By the beach. Those are all Can the I same just say people that again? in the Midwest. By the beach. And now you are in Minneapolis, and Minnesota. Not by the beach. Not at all by the beach. No. Yeah, so, but I met you and thought, I, I want to know this person. Yeah. Um, I'm the kind of person that if I feel that somebody can can really be someone that can guide me, lead me, encourage me, challenge me, I might try to stalk them a little bit. So, <laughs> And apparently her gift of discernment told her that I would help. <laughs> yes. So then, I'm unbeknownst to me, I think even at that time, you were discerning a move here. Yes. And I didn't know that yet, but then we become became friends online. You mm-hmm. were doing some coaching over the internet uh, oh, with gosh, some other yeah. women. Oh, and yeah. we were all over the country. The Comedy women, Valley. We were everywhere. That yeah. was great. It was really fun. Was and good then times. Uh, you moved to Minneapolis, and mm-hmm. we could go from being internet friends to real friends. Real friends. And now we've gotten to do, we've gotten to travel around the world together a little bit and Mm -hmm. the U.S. and um, yeah, the beginning of a beautiful friendship. (laughs) I think our friendship is strange and wonderful. Joe's strange and I'm wonderful. Yeah. I I was going to disagree, but I just thought, no, let's just leave it there. That works. That's really accurate. It's just strange and wonderful. wonderful. I kind of love that. Depends on the day. Sometimes yeah. I'm the strange one we, and she's the I, wonderful one. I'd say we switch from time to time. But, today today but, I'm the wonderful one. <laughs> but it's still strangely wonderful and wonderfully strange, yeah. even whatever way we, we switch. Exactly. Right. It's beautiful. Exactly. It's beautiful. All right, so tell me just really quick, tell, uh, this is for the listeners, Steph, give a one minute where you're from, uh, sort of what shaped, what are some of the big factors that shaped your growing up, and then Joe, if you could follow up with the same question. Okay. Yeah, I would say that my answer to where I'm from is here. However, my family is not originally from here. My parents are from New Orleans, Louisiana. Mm. So I had a little bit of difficult understanding time understanding the Scandinavian culture of the Midwest and of Minneapolis. Um, I moved here when I was five. But I would say I'm a Minnesota girl because I jumped right into being a Minnesotan. Jumped, you know, head foot into snowbanks and was an ice hockey player <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Um, my parents worked for the Billy Graham organization when I was a kid, mm. which is why we moved to Minneapolis. The, that headquarters used to be here. 
And so um, was shaped a lot by the mass evangelism movement in some good ways and some questionable ways and still wrestle through some of that stuff. But ultimately just really respected my parents and what they did. Um, when I was seven, my dad got sick with a terminal illness that he was supposed to only have make it two years and he made it to 10 years. And so uh, losing my dad when I was 17 was a pretty significant experience for me, given that he was a pastor and my, my dad's dad was a pastor. Didn't think I was supposed to be a pastor. Long story short, God made that clear. I was supposed to be stepping into that mantle. Not sure my Southern Baptist grandpa would approve of that, but he <laughs> might be rolling around in his grave a little bit. But <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and um, and then just uh, the opportunity came after seminary to, to plant a church. And so Mill City Church is in its eighth year now here, and we're in the studio that we're in right now is in the, the bowels of our of our um, midweek building that we have as a church. And it's been an adventure church planting, not something I ever thought I was going to do. But um, so I'm one of the lead pastors of Mill City and get the chance to do what I love, which is to equip people to participate with God every day. And um, just really passionate about equipping leaders and empowering people to step into the things that God's calling them to. And that gets me up every day. No, no question. Yeah. And, and that's true about you. I mean, I know about you here in the cities that uh, you have a real heart for Northeast Minneapolis. You Absolutely. you live right here in Northeast Mill City is in Northeast. And I actually wrote about I wrote I wrote about Mill City and you and Michael in my book. It's in one of the chapters. Ooh, um, Ooh. is it nice? Did there you are say some nice things? Juicy stories. Yes. Yes. Okay. And by juicy, I mean really good. I mean there. I, I was Michael told them to me. Um, cool. And uh, so um, and Steph, I in 1995 as a oh, youth pastor. Dear. I brought, this is good. Going I, back. I brought, yes, this is 20 years ago, 21 years ago. I brought some students to the Billy Graham crusade Rally. that came mm-hmm. to the dome, the mm-hmm. Metrodome mm-hmm. in Minneapolis. And at the end, he gave, he gives the altar call. Yeah. And honestly, I stood up. <laughs> <laughs> you were, oh yeah. my gosh. Like, wait. Wait. Hold on a second. What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So he's got that kind of power i was sitting in the twins dugout at that moment at that moment i was wow. you know i was a little bit younger than you but not that much and yeah um i mean though yeah those things there there was an anointing and is you know on mr graham senior i will say i'll leave it at that uh billy is a man who it doesn't make any sense but and he would say that it doesn't make any sense but god has anointed him and people respond so yeah. the idea of like i'll stand up for that i'll come down yeah. yes sing just as i am i'm gonna be there you know <laughs> and you're supposed to be the person on the counseling and follow-up team but you actually are coming forward again <laughs> coming back to jesus but yeah i mean he he has he you can't explain what happened without the holy spirit it's clear that that yeah. god mm, had his hand on that totally. and and he's the most humble man yeah and the most genuine man that um, the, the way people talk about him, it's true who he is. So. Yeah, yeah. And we could talk about Junior if we wanted to, but I just you know, don't want to take you the time. know. Let's not talk about him. Okay, uh, <laughs> it's not Junior. I mean, anyway. So Joe, same, yes. same question. Where'd you grow up? What were some of the biggest factors that uh, influence who you are as you adjust? As I adjust, the, I, I have a microphone of, moment. Thank you, friends, for giving me that microphone stand. It's a leaning mic. It's, it's a, a leaning mic. It's coming closer and closer every to so your often. knees. There we go. <laughs> I'm going to hold it. And every so often, you will hear strange noises as you hear this podcast. And it's me adjusting the stand. So um, I was born in London. I'm a Londoner by birth and conviction, I like to say. I'm Nigerian background, so my parents moved to England in the 60s. And um, there, are, there are loads of Nigerians in, in London. So I grew up very much as part of a Nigerian community. Um, alongside that, I, in terms of formative periods of my life, I was in foster care till I was six. 
um, which for me was a wonderful experience. I know not many people have that as their story, but for me it was great. And I came to faith as a child. Um, my family, are in, there's a range of religions represented in my family background. Um, but I came to faith through a children's ministry that uh, in a Methodist church that operated in our neighborhood and were really committed to kids in the inner city, which is where I was. Um, so yeah, that's how I got to know Jesus. And they were very intense. Our, our children's pastors were very intense. So it was like, okay, let's learn about tithing. Let's learn about martyrdom. Let's learn about like the as Holy a Spirit. six-year-old, let's learn about tithing. Yeah. You will tithe. Oh yeah, every, every yeah. the whole thing. I mean, it was it was great, really. To be honest, it was fantastic yeah. because we were like, I mean, the youngest probably would have been about six. The oldest would have been maybe eleven or twelve. And they every it was just part of our. <laughs> Part of our walk with God, this is what it meant to be a Christian. Persecution will happen. You need the Holy Spirit. You need this. You need the Bible. And um, <laughs> we're like, all right, okay then, that's fine. And um, I love the fact that it was there before it got complicated. Yeah. I mean, before um, the an- analysis of everything got complicated. Um, and in terms of other formative chapters, really, it would probably be when I went to college. I, I was pretty much a roller coaster Christian in my teens, like many of us. The highs were real high and the lows were just kind of in a club somewhere. And, and I spent uh, most of my teens on the lows. So yeah. I mean, just, yeah. It happens. And it, it was and it was fine. And um, But when I got to college, I went to a church called St. Thomas's in a city called Sheffield, about three hours north of London. And it, that would probably, it wasn't where I came to faith. My faith was already alive. God was already very, very real to me, but it was where I became part of a community where we were looking at what it meant to respond to the Great Commission, really. Yeah. And Sheffield, like much of England, but Sheffield in particular was a church, um, a, a city where the gospel had a resident history. You know, people like John Wesley had preached to 20,000 there a few hundred years before, but by then it was 2% of people who went to church. So it really wasn't like, if you build it, people will come because no one was <laughs> no one was coming. It's like, I don't care how good your music is. We have Coldplay. We don't need you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, we don't care. And what do you do with the people who are amongst the people who are not angry at the gospel? They just don't care. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It's not been relevant for generations. And I think we had to learn... Um, you can, you can talk a good game, but unless your life shows Jesus, it, no one no one cares. It, it's it's beyond irrelevant. It's post caring Christendom. It's trans relevant. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, even a, know what that's that a fancy word. <laughs> I don't even know uh, what that means. <laughs> and that, but um, but it was a wonderful time, and we were a number of us were young adults in our twenties, learning what it meant to share the gospel, learning what it meant to do discipleship in tangible ways, and we saw God do amazing things. And um, we went from a church which in many ways had gathered people by indrag. Do you know what I mean? We just kind of relied on whatever college contingent were going to come in and hope you kept them well to reaching into the the cracks and the crevices of the city with what we would now call missional communities um, where there were groups of people who were looking at how they could love their friends and love the people God had laid on their heart. And it was wealthy, poor, um, different races, different groups, and it was everybody got to play. And I think that was probably one of the formative things. And so when we moved to the States, it was initially to share some of the things that we'd learned on the journey. And out of that, what became known as 3DM was born. It was in some ways telling the story of what happened in that decade as um, more more churches within the US were looking at the culture around them thinking, hmm, things are happening quickly and not in the up, <laughs> not yeah. in the upswing. And how do we reach a, a group of people who maybe aren't familiar with Bible stories, who aren't familiar with the gospel, and again, are feeling like it's beyond relevant. Right. Um, and so that that's how we landed in the States, really, um, simply sharing the story of what had been done. So I uh, was involved in that for a number of years and still am. I now chair the board of 3DM. Um, so I don't, uh, and we work with different churches, look, just continuing the conversation on discipleship and mission. And then alongside that, um, 
there's a, a team of us actually planted um, a church in the city's well area um called mission point and we meet in a movie theater because the seats are awesome and, <laughs> and the popcorn <laughs> is great. and the popcorn is great and uh, yeah it's great and and again just exploring what it means to to live a missional life and by that i mean a scent life um in in our neighborhoods and um yeah and that's been fun it's a it's like a it's a fun family getting to do stuff together and the rest of the time i'm speaking or writing or looking out for my kids who are running my life basically yes. <laughs> running my life yes and that was part of why we were drawn, you know, I mentioned that we got connected over over that coaching around discipleship and mm. mission with 3DM. Um, it was really intriguing to me to learn from people who had experienced the, I would call it the post-Christian shift in Europe that we're seeing now happening in the U.S. And to mm. learn from people who not just, like, you know, observed that, but responded to it mm. and learned ways to respond to what what was happening, but also to the new things that God was doing. And I, I thought, sign me up. I want to learn from the people that kind of experienced some would say the future of what we're going to experience here. And certainly here in Northeast, we see yeah. that post-Christian shift um, pretty severely. You, I do not have any expectation that my neighbors have any right. you know, experience with faith at all. I, yeah. I don't assume that. I never assume that yeah. because um, if they have, they have maybe moved on. There's a lot of um, spirituality, but not not yeah. a lot of Jesus, not a lot of yeah. wanting to, to, to surrender their life to God in any form. So um, I, I went to Sheffield with Joe, which was a really cool experience. And when I was there, <laughs> I learned a lot of things that I don't understand culturally, no. <laughs> the difference between us and the Brits, but um, got to see a, a number of things. And I, there's actually a lot of remnants of like, like Northeast is similar to Sheffield. Yeah, it really is. Um, in just even how it looks mm. and the aesthetics of it. And then some of the response similar, just people who are really in a, we don't see the need for religion, Jesus, the church. Um, it's, a, there's a church on every corner in Northeast Minneapolis and most of them are pretty empty on Sundays. Yeah. So, so you both are leaders, you both are pastors, you both mm -hmm. are influencers and in this uh, day and age where so many people, I think, have a despair about um, not only, I don't think people have a despair about Christianity. I think people have a despair about leadership mm -hmm. and a despair about hope. And we are, my observation is that we're retreating to the extremes. If you're yes. fundamentalist, you're going to be more fundamentalist. If you're progressive, you're going to be more progressive. And there's this, my, my observation, this fertile ground in the middle that's largely if you picture it as a field, mm -hmm. it's untilled but ready. So as leaders, what would you say some of our task is for the next five years, 10 years? If, um, and I don't really like, you know, it's like, I don't like the phrase winning the world for Christ. I don't like the, but I do like the phrase, um, what would it be like to be in Christ for the world? So what's the leadership task that you see um, to be in Christ for the world? Mm, yeah, I mm. like the way you put that. Yeah, probably not taking a conquest mentality towards yeah. other, other humans would be a good place to start. Amen. <laughs> but I, actually, I do think um, that actually brings something up in my mind is a lot of the ways I think people are responding to some of this is by pointing out what not to do. Right. Mm. And I think there's a lot of space for, hey, well, then what should we be doing here? Yeah. <laughs> how, how can we be stepping out here? Because you know, saying that the people in those two demographics you just described aren't getting it and they're, we don't want to be this or that. We don't want to be, in, there's all this what we're yeah. against. Right. And I'm constantly saying, but what are we for then? Can we talk about what we're for? Mm. Because actually, if we can figure out what we're for, we can actually have some of these different opinions and hold them loosely because 
what we're about and with the mission that we're on and the ways that we're participating in God's restoration all of a sudden are more important than where we sit on the aisle politically. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's this phrase. It's not original with me. It's um, Robert Mulholland, in Christ for the world. And mm-hmm. so I think there's even a way in which if Christians are just for Christ, mm-hmm. um, but sort of anti-world, oh, yeah. um, we're, we've, we've lost already. It's so fascinating yeah. because the most quoted verse in particularly evangelicalism is John 3.16. Right. And it starts with, for God so loved yeah. the world. Yeah. It wasn't, God was so upset how ridiculous right. the world was that he decided to come in and fix that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you right. know, it's just not, it, and it, I mean, you could, that, that statement could be true, but also just that God, it is a world that God loves. And when we participate in it, in the ways, in, in action, taking action, I think then we're participating in the the process of God's kingdom coming. Yeah. He's the one bringing it, but we yep. get to participate in that. Exactly. And so I'm always asking the question: What should we actually do? Let's. What are the practices that we should be taking? Mm. What are the actions that we can take? Not because we've got it figured out or we even know the answers, but we need to. A phrase that that we use a lot here at Mill City is: We need to behave our way into new thinking. Right. Because if we, we can sit and think all day long, and it might not impact our behaviors at all, but when you start stepping out in new ways your thinking starts to shift and change. And that can be a little bit nerve-wracking, a little mm-hmm. daunting, but you find yourself in a whole new space physically and emotionally and spiritually yes. when mm-hmm. you begin to step out in in faith, really, to participate with what you see God doing in the world, making the wrong things right. And how can we see that's wrong? Okay, let's move from declaring that wrong and participate with what God's already doing to make those wrong things right. So that's what I would say. What would you say, Joe? I would say... Um it would be good to observe a few things. I think when we um, when we retreat to our extremes, mm-hmm. um, I think we we can become very entrenched in our positions and not be that self-aware as to why we're doing them. And I think if we're looking at a fertile ground, do you want to start with looking and um, and listening and looking at the world around you and saying, why are people angry? Anger is a secondary emotion. It's to yes. do with fear or pain. So what has hurt people that mm-hmm. makes evokes this response? What are people afraid of that evokes this response? What's the insecurity? Yeah. What's the hopelessness and what's good news to that insecurity? On another level, whilst I'm really for us not, I mean, I obviously I'm not a fan of conquest language, but on another level, I do think we could do with seeing things as a battle. Yeah. Because I, I because there I, I, it's just not with people, right? Do you know what I mean? It's just not with people. It's not with an, that ideology. Yeah. It's it, it's although those things there are some significant attitudes that could do with being um, completely dismantled. Right. But I think the reason why the thing I the part of the battle thing I would retain. I mean, there's a lot I'd lose, but the thing I would retain is the fact that it's going to require a level of discipline and perseverance. Yeah, let's say mm. we've forgotten who the real enemy is. Yeah, well and said. and it's still there, and it's and it's a. It's a long work. It's the diligent farmer. It's the athlete that works hard. It's the disciplined soldier kind of thing. But it's not against anybody. <laughs> it's in in against pursuit of what the father's doing. Of darkness yeah. and, and, and let's talk about there. that for a second. Both the battle, but also the long hard work. I think yeah. Eugene Peterson says some, Eugene Peterson says something like uh, slow obedience or long obedience in, in the same direction. The same direction. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a sense of um, most of us want change to happen now mm-hmm. and we're impatient and yes. some of that is because we see the urgency of the problem yeah but there's also I, I think a need in leadership well let me phrase it as a question to be a non-anxious presence mm-hmm. but to be really um fighting the right fights yes and holding the line when it really matters so can you talk about some ways in which you both are finding that in your own context. Does that resonate? 
um, how are you working that out? Sort of this slow obedience, this disciplined work. I think um, for me, I, keep, I have to keep on asking myself. I was thinking this just this morning. Am I still doing some of the basics? Am mm. I making disciples? Am I looking and praying into opportunities to share my faith? Am I being faithful with the things that have been entrusted to me? Whether that's my family, whether that's my kids, school friends and their families, whether it's the way I talk to someone at Starbucks, am I being consistent? I think some things are really simple, but they're just hard to keep up. And so what are the simple things that have always been clear? Because when everything's confusing, you have to come back to something that's always been clear. And the Great Commission was always there. And so rather, I, and, and I think this is something we had to come back to a lot in Sheffield. It's like, okay, if you look at the need, you are overwhelmed by the need. If, you're, if you look at the conversations and the sense of it growing irrelevancy, you're always overwhelmed by it. And even, the, even your strategies can be born out of anxiety. But um, if you're looking at, okay, what did we see God do in a time when people were oppressed, people were anxious, people were fearful, where there were tensions, is that he gathered a few. Yep. He invested his life in them, and yet he, lo- but he still loved the crowds, and he, and he, there were ways of sharing with each grouping, and I think I, I find that just helps keep me back to base, kind of thing. So I, I so I, I do like to ask myself the question: So who are you discipling, mm-hmm. and is there someone who is on a journey of faith that you are in relationship with? Because when those two things are out, then I'm further afield than I'd like to, I'd sure. like to think I am. Well said, Steph. What about you? Yeah, I resonate with what you said, Joe. I think you know. Um, being in non-anxious presence is so key. Um, these polarizing issues are causing so much fear and so much anxiety. And um, my spiritual director often says, you can't discern what God's saying or doing if fear and anxiety are present. Mm, so good. You can't. It's just not possible. And everybody on all sides of these conversations, I think, want to hear the voice of God and want to know yeah. what God's leading them and their communities into. And so we can't we can't allow that fear to be the root of some of these conversations. And so as a leader, I think the ways we can deal with that is um, checking our own core things. Like, like Joe was saying, the anger and the frustration and those kinds of things are secondary emotions. So what's actually going on deeper? And I'm never somebody afraid to talk about my therapist and my spiritual director and these, yeah. and these people mm. who help oh, me gosh, identify yeah. that in my personal life because it's complete. I mean, I'm completely deceiving myself. If I have those personal issues going on in my own life, that that's not going to not just bleed into my leadership, but like puke all over. I mean, that's just going to be, let's be clear. Let's be clear. And, and the power of being a person who stays in the room, but stays as a non-anxious presence is huge. And it's impossible to do that without maintaining that connection with the Holy spirit. And, um, and then for me, just a little, like a little thing would be gratitude. I think, Mm, you know, another thing my spiritual director talks about is you can't, you can't have anxiety and gratitude at the same time. Those actually can't. You can't That's feel good. gratitude. Anxiety is not able to be present in an, in a heart of gratitude. And you know, I I'll admit to being somebody who can come sometimes come down on the more cynical side of things and sometimes look at things and think, what is this? You know. And um, when I'm disciplined enough to even just make lists of things that I'm grateful for, uh, be sure to to even finish a conversation where I'm you know the, the occasional rant can be helpful. And then at the end to say, but man, isn't it amazing? whatever you know these things mm-hmm. that are going on sharing and celebrating the stories of what god's doing that to me is the the way in which my heart can can have a posture towards gratitude and it i mean if you were taking my blood pressure i think it would just completely change because of the anxiety that that leaves the room when you fill that that space with gratitude so yeah, that to me is just good. like a little thing but it just it grounds it and then encouraging the people i lead to do the same thing to mm. just say well what 
right okay so but what are we what is god doing here what are we learning here how is this shaping us how even in the midst of the wilderness or the hardest spaces within some of these conversations or how can we see what god's doing in that and those redemptive trajectories and how that changes the story and that changes us yeah yeah and i think i love what you said how do we sense what god is doing part of what helps me remain non-anxious when I do, and sometimes I can't remain non-anxious, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is this this uh, uh, basic I have to go back to is God is always at work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God is good. always making all things new. Mm-hmm. God is the first person into a city. I'm not. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's my job to find out what God is already doing yeah. and, and to join God. In God that. was already there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? And yeah. I think it's that I, I, I concur with you. The whole, I'm often come back to that bit in John five nineteen where Jesus says, I only do what the father's doing. Yeah. And the, rather than the assumption of this world is terrible, no. it is completely godless. Mm-mm. And so, and, and I think maybe because I came to faith um, in a whirlwind of a context, think, no, we were searching we just had no one who asked us whether we were searching. Yes. We were looking. We were praying. We, I encountered God before I knew what his name was yeah. um, in all kinds of ways. And many people do. But there's just no interpreters yes. around. And it's like, interpreters, be out there. Be amongst people and stop being blinded by their lifestyles and actually remember their people as well and connect and, and see, what you, see what you learn along the way as well. Because um, God is... I mean, what kind of, for me, it, it speaks of the character of God. We say that he, he so loved the world. Well, of course he's going to be moving amongst them then. Of course yes. he's going to, because he's God. Any, yes. any way that he can connect with the, his own creation, he'll find, he'll, he'll seek him out. He always has. Yeah. yeah. And it will keep being recreated. The forms and fashions will keep being made new. Um, and, and that's where I have hope. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't believe in any way, shape or form that church is dying. The institutional church as we have known it may be. But that's mm-hmm. fine. That's okay. Yeah, if that's what needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. It'll, yeah. It, it can be reborn. Yeah. And it will be. And it and has been in history. Throughout yes, history. Yes, these these check moments have come. church history, people. Yep. And God has done amazing things. Yep. And he's raised up amazing things. And and I think some, I, I mean, we often have these conversations with churches and, and, and leaders to say, if there is a change coming, or if, if we're in the middle of that transition, it's not a criticism of what has been either. Right. You celebrate and you honor the life and the fruit and the impact and all that kind of stuff. But you recognize the culture around you yep. may need the same timeless message through a new a fresh voice a fresh clarity yes rather than feel like well you used to be great and now you're terrible which doesn't help anybody really does no. it no. <laughs> it's, it's not very affirming of anyone to to think of ourselves in that way as the church rather than this living body yeah, yeah that's growing and changing mm. I, I heard someone say once in terms of, of relationships sometimes we need to celebrate graduations and not call them divorces, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. sometimes there's divorces yeah. in, in, in a lot real. of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But, but sometimes the church graduated, you know? It's yeah. like, yeah, let's throw a party. Yeah. But now let's make a room new season. for the new thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah. All right, so um, another question that I have for both of you is, um, obviously you're both leaders, you're both women. And I think even though we've made great strides in that, in the culture and in the church, there's still just a whole lot of, room to grow in terms mm-hmm. of women girls growing up to know they can be leaders they we need women to be leaders what would you say um number one like how did you know you were a leader and number two what would you say to young women who maybe feel like they i have leadership but mm-hmm. they're not in an environment where that's being encouraged mm-hmm. so maybe pick pick which answer you'd rather uh answer or answer them both <laughs> um 
I think for me, I would say that I knew because it kept on happening. You kept leading. I kept on leading, even as a kid. Yeah. I was You turned often, around and there were people behind you. Yeah, you just couldn't get away from them. And where I'd be, either in the classroom or when, who would be the who would be the one who would tidy up all the people and organize them to go this way. That was, I always found myself in that role. I didn't feel like a leader for many, many years. I just was one. I was yes. the captain of teams. I was in various things. And I think it took some people on the outside identifying and affirming the gifts that they saw and often people giving me opportunities, um, often at their own expense, which I think is a key thing in terms of their, um, women can't step into room that isn't there, Yes. Um, yeah. into opportunities that don't exist. Right. So I think one of the th- key factors for me was in acknowledging my call to leadership was that someone moved out of the way and said, here you go. And, um, and then seeing the impact, the effect of being faithful to, to what the opportunity would probably be the thing that helped me realize that leadership was part of my life. Yeah, okay. definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, similarly, I I don't remember that being a thing I didn't know. I mean, I, I look back on my life and it's just kind of who I was. And mm-hmm. um, for me, it probably distinct from your experience, Joe, my parents were um, super influential in that. I mean, they, they would express to me, well, you're a leader, so leaders do this. You know, they don't always go with the crowd. They don't always, you know, so some of that was just some parenting strategies <laughs> to keep me from jumping like off the parents. cliff. But um, my dad would say to me and my brother all the time, it's important that you be a leader in everything that you do. And sometimes that means being a good follower. And sometimes yeah. that means going against the grain. And sometimes that means going with what everyone else is doing, even though you might have a better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but That's but so there good. was a lot of coaching from my parents. And I've come now as an adult to realize how rare that is to have parents who speak that into you. Mm. Um, I don't have any memories. My dad isn't with us anymore, like I said. Um, I don't have any memories of him ever having an explicit conversation with me about the topic of gender and leadership. Um, But I remember explicitly him expressing to me there is nothing that you can't do if you don't want to or you don't feel, if God's telling you to do something or you feel called Mm. to something, there's nothing you can't do. Um, And... um, this is this has become really helpful to me to look back on too. I don't recall my parents ever calling me bossy. Um, I had other people in my life that would sometimes say mm-hmm. that. Um, not too many for me personally, but and I've just noticed I've never ever witnessed somebody call a little boy bossy, and I watch them call little girls bossy all the time. Mm. When if the little boy was doing the same thing, I mean she's being assertive, and it might actually be inappropriately assertive, but that's fine. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that's a, a child. thing. That's, that's a child. childhood, right? Yeah, and that's all mm. leaders. All leaders are inappropriately assertive sometimes, so you work through that. And so mm. my parents would would pull it back. They would rein it in, but reining it in didn't look like calling me a name. And I don't know where we got this idea that it wasn't. A put down to call a little girl bossy right you know or a yeah. little boy and you know and i just think i realize now how distinct i don't feel ashamed to be somebody who leads because i was never shamed in that yeah and that good. and i've seen people be shamed and i know many people men and women who are shamed for certain things like that and that was key and so then for me a defining factor that i often compare now to my life in ministry is um like i said becoming a hockey player and so when i became a hockey player there was very few women that were doing that and there was not one ounce of me that thought I should play hockey because girls don't do that. And I want to be, there was no rebellious spirit or something like that. It was, that looks fun. And on Mighty Ducks 1, there was a girl. Yeah. I mean, that was it. It was, <laughs> that means I can do that. I saw, and one of the things Joe and I talk about a lot is you can't be what you can't see. And I saw a woman playing hockey and I thought I can do that. So yeah. I did. 
when I got there and found out I had to be on a boys team, oh, okay, so I was on a boys team. And I did that as best as I could. And there was a lot of difficult things about being in the world of the guys. And then got a chance to play on the women's team. And all of a sudden, I'm the center player, which is kind of like the quarterback in hockey. And, you know, I was never given that opportunity with the boys. Right. But I put me with the girls and they say, well, you're a leader. You should have this role, you know, and. And I often wonder what would have been different if I stayed with the boys. But mm. even just the the pressure that I felt and then coming to realize later on in high school and college when I played college hockey, um, the some of the guys were upset because we were taking the ice time and these different things. And, and justifiably, it was a change, you know. And it's almost it identically mirrors my experience of being a female who's a lead pastor who preaches and teaches and those things. No ounce of me wanted to be rebellious. Ooh, what does everybody get upset about? I should do that. No, nothing at all. Yeah. It's just I God made it clear that it, he made me to do something. And at the end of the day, I don't, I'm going to deal with God. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. I'm so not going to deal with it. You don't have to it. take care of it. Yeah. yeah. And, you yeah. know, the truth be told, people have walked out during my sermons and mm. different things and said, this is because you're a woman. And other times, uh, in, in the most honest of ways, uh, particularly older gentlemen have come up and said, well, young gal, you're really changing my mind. I don't know what I think about that. That was something different, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. But really, it's just God's softening their heart and, and yeah. they can't understand something they hadn't seen. And so when it comes to, you know, wanting to encourage younger women, um, my first thought is try to be around other people who you see doing the kinds of things you feel made to do because yeah. you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. um, Love that. And, and that, that's, uh, that's hard to find, but it's easier now than it ever has been. Yeah. Can I add another, maybe a question you weren't going to ask is when you asked that question, I thought, what would I say to the guys? Yes. And the, and you, that may have been your next question anyway, but, um, and to the leaders. And I would say to the, um, if there are women in your community, um, first of all, assume that there are leaders in there somewhere. There's so often people say, I can't find the women. I'm like, you're yeah. not actually looking yeah, very hard. Right. You're, you're, don't be lazy because right. often people um, articulate in different ways. I would suggest to the guys, you won't get women leaders without investment and opportunity, and that may come at your expense. Yes. It may mean you have to physically get out of the way, that you will end up doing less of the things you love, that you're passionate about, that you feel called to, to release, to multiply yourself in the life of, of another. Um, and then that's true whether it's men or women, but, um, but that's the reality of raising up another leader. You will have to do less at some point, and you have to be secure enough for that to happen. Yeah. And and not so busy that it's just easier for it to be you because sometimes it's not the it's not an insecurity it's just the systems of yep. our lives that are like that. The other thing I would say and I've said this to guys again and again is um, you've got to remember just because they don't articulate their passions in the way the guys around you do doesn't mean they don't want to lead and you may have to ask somebody um, ten times before yes. she says yes yes and and yes that's hard work on your part yes that's um difficult but in an environment where there's been so much conflict about whether women can lead and 20 times she was told she can't 20 so. times yep. she was told she can't she's heard or people affirm the other teachings of leaders who say that kind of stuff and think am i welcome here i'm not sure often for women they um if they think um they're not sure how to do it they won't even try Right. Yeah. They won't even start. They won't be like, oh, I'm 40% there, so I'll give it a go. It's like, no, because this is representing womanhood here. If yeah. I make a mistake, the burden is on me. And yeah. I think we have to take the burden off women because it carries a massive load. And, and a community does that. And one way to help that, it would be not asking them to represent women on Mother's Day. Oh, my or gosh. Or on some other. And, uh, we, wanna, we want someone to speak from a female perspective. Like, I mean, I don't. On a daily basis, I think of myself as a pastor who happens to be a woman, yeah. not a woman pastor. I mm. mean, w 
we don't say like, oh, Steve's a male pastor. Oh, that's interesting. Speak yeah. for the males. Right. Could and, you speak on yeah. behalf of 50% of the population? Thank you. Yeah. And I love, I mean, I love talking on Mother's Day just because I like messing with the ideas of what we decide, have decided motherhood is. But that amongst your community, you'll have women who can talk, teach during Lent, who can teach on all kinds of things. And yeah. if you box somebody to only that thing, then actually the church misses out. The yes. family of God misses out when we don't represent the family fully. I, I could not agree more. And that's what, I mean, actually, so if this was a video podcast, everyone, you would have seen, we're all like pointing at each other. <laughs> like, like all of a sudden it got really hot in here because I was thinking as you both were talking, it's a real um, detriment to women that, especially in the church, that when a woman gets up to speak without even thinking it, everyone, she is representing women. Yeah. yeah you know, right. and if she shines, that's great. If she now well, maybe is a human being and, and doesn't yeah. hit yeah. out of the park, so to speak, well, that's not a knock just on her. Right. It's a knock on women. And the same goes for uh, with people of color too. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Who are in an environment that's monoethnic, they feel like I'm now representing an entire race of people, and that's unfair. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm really inaccurate. It, yes. It is. It's right. just yes. a, it's a weak. It's a weak decision-making process for yes. all of us. It doesn't make the best of our gifts or our skills or or what God has done in making us in his image to yeah. be so mono in our views yeah. on those sorts of things. It's like there is God, God has lavished his gifts and his skills on a diverse amount of people in diverse ways. If we, only, if we have a really thin lens through which we see that, we're weaker. We're going to miss. And yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we've um, lost some sense of urgency too if we're going to disqualify 50% of the population to be doing things like Seriously. Is it really not? I mean, the kingdom coming thing is kind of, you know, we need to be about that. We yeah. need all hands on deck, yeah. you know, and everybody to bring their whole, all their gifts to the table. This is where the battle language is useful. It's like, exactly. okay, friends, you're going to war. You have now have half an army. Yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, yeah. and <laughs> it's just, like, really, and, why would we do that? And also how much you need each other. I mean, I couldn't be more convinced at this point in my life of how much the co-laboring between men and women is so key. Yeah. And mm. the opportunities yeah. that I had, like Joe mentioned, for men to step aside and be secure enough in who they are to say, you can have my pulpit, you can share yeah. my space. Yeah. And now I get the opportunity to do that. Yeah. I just gave away some of my preaching time to a younger man on yeah. my team and thought, that's awesome. I want yeah. his voice to take some of this space. Yeah. And it wasn't about competition or any of those things, but to say... Uh, you, you as a leader, you pay forward that space because it's about the kingdom expansion. Yeah. You want the people that you lead to go farther than you if they can. And if you don't get out of the way, they can't. Yeah. Exactly. And I think this is where as leaders to be non-anxious mm-hmm. so we can have a view of the field that's broad and we can say, okay, I need to check myself when my ego gets in the way that I'm the only person that can hit it out of the park in whatever arena. Uh, and I want to see and listen to the different people that God is bringing into yeah. my field, my church, whatever. There's going to be extroverts and introverts. There's going yeah. to be um, women who um, uh, speak a mile a minute, sort of like the two of you. And there's also going to be... <laughs> I don't know what he means. Very <laughs> soft-spoken, right. wise, strong women and oh, yeah. men. Mm-hmm. Wise, soft. So I think as leaders, we just need the, the big task is um, to watch and listen and then give people opportunity, right? Mm, to, to do all these things. So we're out of time. I mean, oh my gosh, we could do this for another we hour. Could. See, this, this, is why, this is why others <laughs> have. So, um, okay, but I really do. So the both of you have started a podcast called Lead Stories. Yay. And it is really, really a great podcast. What uh, my understanding, because I've listened to a couple episodes, uh, you talk leadership, but you do it with a vehicle of story. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
so you share stories about your own life about but um, so I'm gonna put the link to that on the show notes so that'll be fun yeah um, anything else you want to say about and this this would be I mean honestly because I think one of the things I love to do is to share my friends with my friends mm-hmm. so uh, what books have you written? What what blogs have you um, talk about that? So we can, so the folks that listen to this good word can get all about your deal. Um, I've written a book called More Than Enchanting. Uh, that's what it's called here in the states, anyway. And it's it's basically on the area of women and leadership. And I would recommend it for anybody who's trying to work out the how how to invest in women leaders, um, how, to I, how do I explore my calling in whatever season of life I'm in. Cool. Um, that would be a thing I'd recommend. Um, in terms of website and stuff, it's just joesaxton.com and it's pretty, and on all the kind of social media platforms, Joe Saxton and I. Yep. And that's been the place where I've begun to interact with people on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and just build relationships. And I think with lead stories and, and Steph will probably say it far more articulately than me in a moment, um, is mm. again, simply again, another way of wanting to, for those who are trying to find their their journey and, and their sphere of influence and, and feel that they don't have the investment and maybe they don't get to the conferences and they don't get to the resources, this is just something that we hope will serve them. Yeah, yeah definitely. And Steph, before you answer, I'm going to dive in and say, I know, Joe, discipleship, we talked about this mm-hmm. over coffee. It's a big thing for you. Yeah. And I do hear many people, men and women, say, I wish I had a mentor. I yes. wish I had someone that would disciple me. And what I want to say out loud to everybody is start with listening to lead stories, okay? Oh, cool. Like, like, like start with reading Joe's book. Start, mm-hmm. I mean, start somewhere. Yes, I've been, absolutely. I've been mentored by so many people that I've never met before. Yeah. Like, yeah. Authors, yeah. pastors, whoever. Yeah. And so don't, like, I think... Um, listen to that don't say well i don't have anyone that i can meet with every week at starbucks so i don't have a mentor no no yeah. no no start no. somewhere yeah because i think the stuff that you guys are giving away that both of you are giving away is really valuable and you can be mentored by that we've also talked a little bit on our podcast about how if you want someone to mentor you start with asking if you can go along with them on things they're already yes. doing yes. and not yes. asking them to be at starbucks i mean yes. yeah serve them where they're at yeah how could i mean we aren't going to be very influential in people's lives if we spend our whole days in starbucks because we're not <laughs> out there doing it you know if you want to if you admire somebody's parenting ask if you can go along to the soccer game if you think someone is a great communicator say when's your next speaking engagement can i come with you and be the one that makes the starbucks run yes you know not yeah. because they need you to serve them but because they're doing stuff. They're out there yeah. doing it, which is why you want their influence in the first place. And yes. so that's yeah. when I say I stalk Joe. I just said, like, where are you going? Can I uh, can I come along? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it costs money. You know, it yep. costs money to bid a plane ticket to go with somebody. Yep. But then the question comes down to, well, how much do you really want that investment? Yes. yes. Because it's investments are something you put something into yes. for a return. Yeah. It's not yeah. something that somebody decides to just give you money. That's not how investment that's works. That's a really good Okay. And uh, we are so out of time. But I do want to throw this out there. Like, so my little secret sauce for people that, whatever, want to be mentored or whatever, is um, absolutely it's up to them to mm-hmm. ask you yeah, hmm. and to even hound you. I, but I think there's a thing among younger men and women, they have such a father wound, a mother wound, a parent wound, that they're really waiting for Joe Saxton to approach them and yeah. say, I, God's, I've, I've been praying and God put me on your heart on my heart, put you on my heart, and I would like to mentor you. And then they burst into tears and they say, yes, of course. <laughs> but no, no, no. I, I, I think um, it is actually up to the person, to just like you did, to say, I may get a no here, but I'm going to ask yeah. to, to be around you, to, to be in your life. 
and uh, and I will pay the plane ticket to go around. Yeah. And, and that's because that even kind of tells me like, okay, you got some skin, skin in the in game. Skin in the game. Right. Yeah. You got to have skin in the game. Yeah. I'm not going to, you know, right. look like I'm not. Um, and I think that's healthy. So I got some no's. I had I had men oh, and women so that I said, can I can yeah. I can I come around? Yeah. No. And they're like I don't have time for that. And yeah. and actually they were just being honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad they were because there's nothing worse than saying yeah I'll invest in you and then not yeah, having totally. the margin for that. So big time. Anyway, and, yeah. And if that happens to you, it's not personal really. It's just it's just someone's having a boundary and it's totally. okay. <laughs> and know? it's important. Exactly. That's an important yeah. model in itself. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So and that's and that's mentoring. yeah yeah. If you really think they're the kind of person that you want to follow, then yeah. they have to have those boundaries in that healthy line. Mm. Maybe so. we need to have another maybe like in the summer or fall. We'll do another podcast on mentoring. Yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be, be awesome. That'd be great. Discipleship, wouldn't that be fun? That'd yeah. be great. Yeah, so, well, okay. and so I would say for me, the podcast, um, you know, it's been really fun to respond to the things that are on people's hearts and to hear from them. We're trying to be as interactive as possible. Yeah. Um, but I, I think when it comes down to it, I think that God is still telling stories. And if God is still telling stories, then we will have stories to tell. And yeah. the question isn't whether or not God's doing something, it's whether or not we're paying attention and if we're asking God to give us eyes to see what he's doing around us, I think too. And of course there's an enemy that doesn't want us to see that. And so um, that's what it's about for us is just telling the stories mm-hmm. that God of what God is doing and God's action. And cause we're a part of this bigger story that um, isn't finished yet. And we're l- all looking for our part in the story, but if we start with what God's doing, we'll find it. And so for yeah. us, that's what we're talking about on the podcast and, you know, bringing up the subjects that people are wondering about and things like that, trying to be vulnerable to some extent so that, that that mentoring aspect can happen. So, um, yeah. So our all of our lead story stuff, you can put that on the show notes. But well, in Twitter, it's lead stories vox v o x, and then uh, lead stories podcast everywhere else. And then yeah. for me personally, my blog is pastorstuff.com, and try to blog there every week or two. And then um, I also um, social media stuff is all pastor stuff m p l s. Some adorable woman somewhere on the east coast who's in her sixties <laughs> has has the handle pastor stuff. And I just, I'm like, hello, I'm, are you still there? Cause she doesn't, you doesn't know, doesn't check use it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's just precious, but, but I'm a Minneapolis girl. So MPLS is yeah, for Minneapolis and <laughs> I'm rocking it. So yeah, we and love to interact with people. So let us know yeah, what great. you're thinking about it. And, and our podcast is definitely going to be really accessible for women because we're women, but we feel as though it's not a podcast yeah. just for women. Well, I mean, we hear from a lot of guys. We yeah. hear so, from a lot of yeah. guys and it's been really great to hear from them. Yeah. And it shapes the conversation and how can we start having some more conversations together. Yeah. And if we ever are speaking specifically to women, that might be helpful for some of the guys to hear. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to hurt. No. It's not right. Hurt. Exactly. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time out of your day to uh, come on this good word. We, I mean, I just, I'm, I love it. I love sharing friends. And uh, we always end with um, uh, our little, mo- we have a mantra. We, 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 we have a mantra. And because this good word, the byline is reclaiming what's holy about our humanity. Hmm. And so it's, it's about sort of getting into the, um, the nitty gritty of life and how it actually is instead of um, our ideal version. So uh, we say we are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy and we're in it together. So thanks for being a part of that. Amen. You too. You. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And um, I can't wait for the folks, the good folks to hear this conversation. Yeah. Yay. We'll be back on together sometime, I'm sure. Yeah, baby. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.